0: Right now on Matter of Fact, the nation prepares to make a pivotal decision in an election where the majority does not always win. It's more important
1: than anything to get it right than it is to call and declare a winner uh, too
0: soon. What this bipartisan group is doing to ensure confidence in the vote and the outcome. Then... CHARGES THAT A REPUBLICAN TASK FORCE KEPT VOTERS AWAY FROM THE POLLS ON ELECTION DAY. HOW THREATS TO EVEN A FEW CAN CHANGE THE RESULTS FOR EVERYONE. PLUS, A RARE VISIT TO THE HOPI RESERVATION IN ARIZONA.
2: WE HAVE 12 VILLAGES HERE ON THE HOPI NATION, WHICH COVERS A SPAN AREA OF
0: 1.5 MILLION ACRES. MEET VOTERS WHO SAY DISTANCE IS JUST ONE MORE BARRIER IN A 160-YEAR STRUGGLE TO SECURE THE RIGHT TO VOTE.
3: I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. Tuesday is Election Day, and Americans have already cast a record-breaking number of early votes. The potential for a record in-person turnout adds stress for election officials, especially in places where COVID-19 cases are surging. Add to that President Trump calling on his supporters to watch polling places.
4: They're trying to rig an election, and we can't let that happen. I hope you're all going to be poll watchers. I hope you are. Because with you people watching the polls, it's going to be pretty hard to cheat. I'll tell you, I wouldn't want to be a cheater.
3: But in most states, people can't just show up and say they want to watch what's going on. Poll watchers, whether they are recruited by political parties or watchdog groups, have to be certified by local officials and then assigned to specific polling places.
4: I'm Jeffrey Metzler, and I'm a poll watcher. The first time was I was a poll watcher was probably about 15 years ago for a local state senate election, and I've subsequently been a poll watcher for the 2008, 2012 presidential elections, and again in 2016. I don't think poll watching is a partisan activity because I don't think that the process of casting your vote is a partisan thing. Generally speaking, there are election workers who are set up by the state board of elections who are there, and they're following the rules. Sometimes questions will arise, and what a poll watcher does is look to try to answer questions if there are legal questions that come up, or make sure that no mistakes are being made. For this particular election, my Main concern. I think there just will be general heightened tension because of the coronavirus, and people are generally more on edge. Show up and vote. You will determine the outcome of this election. Vote,
5: vote, vote. I'm urging
4: my supporters to go into the polls and watch very carefully. When non lawyers are being invited to just go to polls and watch to see that everything is going. OK, I think, is a recipe for chaos. And I think it's more important than ever that there be people there to ensure that everyone who wants to vote has the opportunity to cast their vote.
3: One cross-party watchdog group keeping tabs on this election is the National Task Force on Election Crisis, formed a year ago. The group is calling on all media outlets to release plans for election coverage, including if and how they're gonna call the races. Amber McReynolds spent 15 years as the director of elections for Denver, Colorado. She's one of the country's leading experts on election administration, and she's also a task force member. Amber McReynolds, it's so nice to talk to you. In this letter that you've sent out, you asked to uh, have the news organizations share publicly their plans to cover any politician who declares victory prior to your, meaning the news organization's, ability to make an accurate evidence-backed projection. So I'm curious, first and foremost, What's been the response to that letter? So what we're trying to do is just ensure that the news
1: organizations are transparent and, and provide that good information to voters so that we see more things more like how many mail ballots are outstanding, how many you know early votes were in the returns that were posted on election night, along with how many precincts still have to report. I think tamping down that kind of narrative, reminding everyone that every state has laws on the books that dictate how this process works. It's more important than anything to get it right and make sure that the votes are accurate uh, than it is to call and declare a winner uh, too soon.
3: Certainly the president has, has, in his rallies many times, I think it's fair to say, sown the seeds of uh, distrust, right? That, that you can't necessarily trust the process, you can't necessarily even trust the people. You know, is transparency in the process going to be enough when there's going to be a push to say, hey, look at this, this is not to be trusted?
1: Local officials around the country and state officials are the guardians of democracy. And we need to be patient with them so that they can do the job, because COVID has has put up a lot of uh, difficult circumstances for them in this process. Uh, also, there's over 9,000 local election offices that run this process. Ninety Over 90% of them only have five or fewer full-time staff members. So this process is very much driven by election judges and seasonal uh, employees that come in to help. Um, and they are. They are exactly that. They're our neighbors. We've seen uh, high numbers of people express interest in being and serving this year. And it is very much a public service.
3: As we head into the next few days or maybe the last few days um, before all of this comes to a head how are you feeling
1: election officials have faced adversaries they faced foreign actors bad actors trying to interfere with this process for a long period of time 2020 i feel like has Uh, definitely heightened some of that, uh, especially with the misinformation online. Uh, I think it's exciting that so many people are voting, like we're seeing historic numbers. And that's incredible for our democracy. That's positive for the future of how elections work in the United States. Um, And then, and I'm optimistic uh, and I'm cautiously optimistic that, um, that ultimately we'll have results timely and that election officials, as they always do, we'll do what needs to be done and get the job done so that we can move past this election um, and, and go into the future and talk about real change and how to improve some of these things that have been challenging in a pandemic.
3: Amber McReynolds, so nice to talk to you, thank you. Sure.
0: Next on Matter of Fact, warning signs, armed officers at the door, an historic election 40 years ago.
6: I was intimidated by the mere parents of a Gestapo armband in my polling places.
0: Can we prevent another round of intimidation at the polls? And... The um, barriers we face here on the reservation are, I'm sure, different to uh, other communities out there. Meet the voters of the Hopi Nation and find out why it's so hard to make their voices heard.
3: Joining us for a Matter of Fact, as campaigns make their final push toward Election Day, it's all about turnout. New Jersey is one state where more than half as many people who voted in the last presidential contest have cast early ballots this time. But hanging over the Garden State's election is a shadow of a dark moment nearly 40 years ago. An incident some say secured the vote, others say was intimidation. Our special correspondent Joey Chen takes us back.
6: Ask anyone here about 1981, and the political scandal they'll most likely think of is ABSCAM. In front of me is
4: $50,000. The The
6: FBI sting snared a dozen politicians, including Camden's mayor, on federal corruption charges. But it was a different political fraud here that same year, which may serve as a warning this election day. It was another November 3rd when voters in Camden's minority communities and in Jersey's other big cities found warning signs and armed off-duty police officers wearing official-looking armbands at their polling places. I, as a Black person, feel that I was intimidated by the mere appearance of a Gestapo armband in my polling places. The Ballot Security Task Force was organized and paid for by the Republican National Committee to secure the razor-thin election for governor. The loser was Democrat Jim Florio. Did you see it coming? No, nobody
5: did. This was sort of a a sneak attack, sort of a political Pearl Harbor. These policemen just showed up, intimidated people.
6: Florio lost by 1,787 votes of 2.3 million cast, a margin of less than one-tenth of one percent.
5: The margin was clearly affected by the intimidation. They thought Obviously, they thought they would win if they could discourage some voters from going
6: to the polls. And frankly, they were correct. New Jersey later sent him to Congress and finally elected him governor in 1990. But Florio never believed the task force was really meant to secure the fair election everyone wants.
5: Well, isn't it? Well, it it is, but the fact of the matter is the motivation here was not ballot integrity. The motivation was intimidation.
6: Republican leaders later agreed not to use intimidation tactics through a legal consent decree that was finally lifted just two years ago, raising new concerns about the possibility of voter intimidation in election 2020.
4: Go down to certain areas and watch and study and make sure other people don't come in and vote five times. I'm urging my supporters to go into the polls and watch very carefully, because that's what has to happen. I am urging them to do it. We need every able-bodied man, woman to join Army for Trump's election security operation. You know why? Because bad things happen in Philadelphia, bad things.
6: Right across the Ben Franklin Bridge from Philly is Jim Florio's old home turf, Camden, and Corinne's place, where the boss dishes out a message about civic duty. You know, how dare you not vote? And I mean, we, a lot of our ancestors were killed just to vote. Still, she says it's easy to see why many will just skip voting. The long lines, the few ballot boxes, and a memory of efforts to keep some people away from the polls.
5: I saw my parents could not vote back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. They had the uh, Jim Crow laws.
6: This time there's fear citizen militias, inspired by false claims of widespread voter fraud, might just pick up where the 1981 task force left off. Again, the, The remedy
5: for this is to lift the level of awareness of people to this
6: practice of intimidating voters and have people call it out or risk a repeat of efforts to silence a community. For Matter of Fact, I'm Joey Chen in Camden, New Jersey.
0: Coming up on Matter of Fact. This is the land of the Hopi. Come with us to meet citizens of both tribe and nation still struggling to exercise their right to vote and record numbers of women running for office But... The number of Republican women running has dropped. How Democratic women are gaining a political edge. Welcome back to Matter of Fact. The
3: right to vote is fundamental to our democracy. Yet for Native Americans, the fight for voting rights has been long and difficult. The 14th Amendment, passed in 1866, made all people born in the U.S. citizens with one notable exception, Native Americans living on reservations. It took more than half a century for Congress to change their status with the Indian Citizenship Act of 1924. And even after that, states found ways to deny voting rights to Natives. In Arizona, they didn't win the right to vote till 1948. With the help of our colleagues at Indian Country Today, we visited the Hopi Reservation in Northwest Arizona to understand the challenges of voting for Native Americans.
5: the um, barriers we face here on the reservation are I'm sure different to uh, other communities out there.
2: <laughs> Hi, um, my name is Tiffany Banipiwa.
6: My name is
5: Orion Duwaini. I am from Kikoksmavi, Arizona.
2: There's a lot of um, disparities um, that create um, unique challenges for places like here on Hopi that's rural. We have 12 villages here on the Hopi Nation, which covers a span area of 1.5 million acres. and uh, they're, sp- they're spread across three mesas.
5: This building here is uh, what is normally our elderly and community youth center. As you see, there's no sign- signages indicating it is a polling site, but come election day, that will be all brought and that will be posted that this will serve as a polling site.
2: There's a lot of people who don't have um, transportation out here, and out on here on the reservation, we don't have public transportation. The area out here, we're so spread out, um, and during this pandemic, not being able to all be together and talk about these issues, I think is a holdup for um, for what's going on right now with the, the election coming up.
4: You are listening to KUYI 88.1 FM, licensed in Hope Villa, transmitting the Hopi Land.
2: From, From Mesa, here, the it's about 60 to 70, to 70 miles
5: to get to Tiba. It's the shortest distance for me to vote. The reservation is very vast, and across uh, that stretch of land, which is our reservation, we have five post offices.
2: Part of the challenge in in this year's election, there's been no education to the community about where to get registered to vote, how to go register to vote. A lot of it is online now and then not a lot of the elders um, are able to access that information readily.
5: People who I've grown up with, you know, I'm sure are not aware that we recently got our rights to vote.
2: So that was one of the things that historically has been taken from a lot of tribes is, is really their right to be heard. We are considered a minority. Um, the tribal um, nations across U.S. Um, and in Arizona, but I believe we we could have a, a huge impact.
5: And I just wanted to encourage uh, everyone out there to Vote, get out there and voice your vote.
3: A big thank you to our partners at the Economic Hardship Reporting Project for their help with that story.
0: Next on Matter of Fact, history has already been made in this election cycle, and it's not just in the presidential race. What you may not know about the candidates on the down ballot, changing the face of history. Plus, your honey supply at risk from some giant pests.
3: has already been made during this election cycle and it's not just in the presidential race. A record number of female candidates are running for the House of Representatives. The Center for American Women and Politics at Rutgers University crunched the numbers and they say there are 298 female candidates, 204 Democrats, 94 Republicans. We know of at least 130 black women who are running for seats in the House and the Senate. And even as overall numbers of women candidates rise, the number of Republican women running has dropped. THE CHANGE ISN'T JUST HAPPENING IN WASHINGTON, D.C. 47 WOMEN ARE RUNNING FOR STATEWIDE ELECTED OFFICES, INCLUDING THREE IN GOVERNOR'S RACES. OF THOSE SEEKING STATEWIDE OFFICE, 28 ARE DEMOCRATS, 17 ARE
0: REPUBLICANS. COMING UP ON MATTER OF FACT, CAN WE ASK A QUESTION, HOW DO YOU DESTROY NESTS OF MURDER HORNETS? WE'LL TELL YOU.
3: There is one less thing to worry about in 2020 murder hornets. We first heard about the Asian giant hornets earlier this year, but the insects were actually first detected in Washington state last December. Entomologists, experts on insects, were drawn into a battle with the hornets and needed a plan to search and destroy them. So recently, They caught three hornets, and then they attached radio trackers to them using dental floss. They released them all, and one of the insects led scientists back to the nest inside of a hollowed out tree. Now, scientists literally vacuumed out a few of the hornets, set them aside so that they could do more research. Then, they started the elaborate process of destroying the nest. So first, they pumped foam into the tree, then they wrapped it in plastic and filled it with carbon dioxide, Researchers say they are pretty confident that they have knocked out the first nest in the U.S. Of course, there's no guarantee that there aren't others. None of those scientists who were involved in the actual mission were stung, thank goodness, making these hornets pretty much all buzz and no sting. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and we'll see you back here next week.